0: Welcome to the Matthew Moran Podcast. Here you will find a series of in-depth conversations with the world's best nature photographers, conservationists, designers, editors, writers and publishers. You will get an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts, and it is a chance to hear their stories, personal journeys and how they carve a niche to make a living in a rapidly changing, highly competitive a hugely exciting field. I've had the pleasure of working with many of my guests over the years and have learned so much from spending time with them and having conversations about what it means to be a creative freelancer, sourcing exciting projects, sharing skills through partnerships and not losing sight of your goals and dreams. This podcast is my chance to share these conversations with you. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Today my guest is Roxy Furman. She is a wildlife biologist, filmmaker, presenter, and activist who at the age of 23 hit the ground running after graduating with a first class honors degree in zoology. She has a significant following on Instagram and Roxy uses social media to great effect, educating and connecting with people about everything from her experiences about going vegan to getting involved in demonstrations and speaking about environmental issues. And I assure you she does this in a very warm, Unpreachy and compassionate way. She is also the founder and owner of her own online business, the Zephyr Eco Market, where she sells a range of eco-friendly and sustainable products. So you can check out the links on her page in the podcast section of my website to find out more about this. Roxy is now embarking on a master's degree in filmmaking at the University of West England. So I encourage you to keep up to date with what she's doing now as we'll no doubt start seeing some captivating content powerful storytelling centred around conservation and the need to protect our planet. Roxy and I caught up in my garden studio in North London to talk about so many different topics and I hope you get as inspired as I was listening to her speak. The one hour format never feels like enough but hopefully we'll get her back soon. Until then, enjoy this one. Roxy, welcome along. We are back in... Tottenham. My last two podcasts have been very luxurious. i done one in Sweden and one in Vietnam. But um, we're back in North London, the sun is shining, it's a beautiful June evening. And I'm really excited that you've come to visit and we spent some time together already talking. And um, I'm always a bit kind of, I don't want to talk about stuff too much before we actually have this conversation. So you feel like you're repeating yourself, but we've got loads to talk about. Um, and you were down here a little bit earlier getting your third tattoo is that right in london my fourth your fourth
1: but mum i went with my mum it's her first ever tattoo so it's kind of weird being the one holding your mum's hand (laughs) yeah it should be the other other way way around around, right
0: (laughs) that's great actually i didn't ask you this what did did your mum get tattooed we got
1: matching so we both got ahimsa okay So it's sanskrit and it means non-harming to all sentient
0: beings very cool very cool so yeah we'll end up talking a lot about this and your belief system and uh, your love of wildlife, your love of animals, that's why you're here um, and, you know, when I was doing some research on you and looking at all you know, your great videos on YouTube and all the posts that you do on Instagram, you're really active and stories, etc., it's quite clear from the beginning that you really enjoy doing lots and lots of different things. Um, But going a little bit further back and just starting off with, you know, what got you interested in the natural world? What got you interested in animals wanting to protect? What got you interested in the environment? And can you remember back, uh, you know, when when you were first kind of hooked on that?
1: I think a lot of it is kind of what I've been told or heard from my parents. um, Stuff like mum telling me when I was at nursery and they'd go around and saying. You know, what's your favorite animal to all the kids? And they'd answer sure. a cat, dog, rabbit. And I'd get to me and I'd say hippopotamus. <laughs> <That was laughs> long word for this little two and a half year old nursery. Be. That was always, animals were always kind of my thing. And I was saying to you in the car when we got back from the event that, you know, my dad wanted to work with animals and his parents weren't supportive of that and pushed him to be a lawyer. And, <laughs> I don't think he necessarily, it wasn't like, I didn't work with animals, so you're going to. It was sure. just that I think that passion kind of came off and spread like through the way we lived. Like he had this animal encyclopedia that I'd always, always looked through and like open a random page and be like, what's that animal? <laughs> but just things that we used to do together that probably kind of shaped my interest in it, but it was never directly forced that like my sister's not into animals and wildlife it wasn't kind of put on me it was always what i loved yes. but supported
0: yes. by my parents and it's nice as well because you can you know now you know i'm a, I'm a parent of a 16 month old and you, know, you have to be very conscious not to project you mm. know particularly as your dad had this love of animals and whatever could have been a vet could have been a conservationist but it's like no you've got to get a proper job you've got to be a doctor or or a lawyer and he did that but it's nice that you've grown up in an environment where it's fostered rather than than pushed
1: yeah and all of our kind of family holidays that we were really fortunate to be able to go on holidays to all these amazing places when we were growing up where did you go borneo costa rica um just crazy family holidays, that, you know, most people never get to experience. Sure. And it was always kind of where can we go to see animals? And when I was about six, we went to Seychelles and went to Bird Island, which does a lot of conservation work with seabirds and turtles. And um, one day we went down to the beach to kind of help release turtle hatchings back into the sea. And there was a conservationist working on the island called Robbie. And he said, you know, everyone wait here, I'm going to go to the nest and collect the turtles and I'll bring them back and we'll all release them together. And the little six year old me takes off my shoes and runs after him. He just picks me up and takes me with him. And when I got back, that's kind of the first moment where I kind of knew that term and said, I want to be a conservationist. So kind of having that almost field experience when you're six and like seeing it for your eyes that's, that's kind of what really then pushed me to sure. follow that route.
0: And for me it's extra amazing because um my one of my guests josh who's my good friend um is a conservationist and he's the same age as me he's 42 and in, in his interview he talked about when he was younger not even knowing what the word conservation meant and that's how much things have changed in you know in this time and so when you were six what year was this i mean we might give away your age here i hope you don't mind
1: <laughs> I don't even know um 2019
0: now i'm turning 24 okay. this year. right oh oh god now you put me <laughs> yeah. on the spot now you put me <laughs> on the spot to, maths. Do, to do the math so that would have been 18 years ago so yeah just 2001 2000 mm. 2001 um you knew then that you wanted to be a conservationist so fast forward because there's so much stuff i want to talk about like current and it's really good to keep these podcasts current but it's really interesting that you know you do all these different things making films um i know you i've just found out that you're also writing quite regularly um so what was it this spurred you on to do a zoology degree rather than you know biology or geography or something to, you know because zoology is quite specialized it's quite specific
1: mm. um it was weird because i was at kind of this confusing point in my life when it was choosing a degree and deciding what i wanted to do at university because animals were my thing. And that's what I love. But I've also danced since I was three years old, and performing arts has been a massive part of my life. So it's kind of the first time where was choosing between the two things that I loved doing. So it was kind of like, what, what do I do? How do I merge these things together? So kind of from going to university, I was thinking, you know, if I have a degree in zoology, I have that scientific background, that backing to what I want to do. And then later on, I can kind of bring back in my other love which is the performing side of things and merge the two together in more of a presenting way and
0: right and if you and so how would you go about merging dance and zoology (laughs) i
1: mean those two probably will have emerged so much um but even that kind of stuff is using my body in ways and like this kind of training i do now is very much like movements of how you do if you are you know using your body like we should be using our body and yeah kind of that all these things are kind of more interlinked than i originally thought and especially now as i'm getting older and realizing you know we've had this massive disconnect from the natural world and how we're supposed to walk how we're supposed to sit how we're supposed to use our bodies And, and i think it's just you learn so many other skills as well from performing arts not just like movement and like it's just connecting to people on a really like a physical level but in not like a in a weird sense but you learning to be close to people and read people's body language and then you can apply that to reading animals body language like all these things have so many links
0: so you graduated just last year
1: Yeah, yeah pretty much this time and
0: you hit the ground running you said earlier that you you picked up this job and was it three days afterwards tell us a little bit about that
1: so i finished this time last year i was in california right so i'd finished my final exams but i hadn't graduated yet right so i went with my family and we did you didn't hesitate (laughs) (laughs) No, she did a month trip around california again seeing as much animal as you possibly could
0: yeah
1: um i remember during that month i was stressing like I'm applying to jobs and I'm not getting anything. And my mum was like, you haven't even graduated <laughs> yet. You're already stressing. Um, then got back, I think it was end of July where my graduation ceremony was. And yeah, then ended up moving to Scotland three days later to go and live on the Isle of Seal, which is just off the coast near Oban, Right. west coast, working as a wildlife biologist and presenter on a boat there amazing you know, how have, how have i gone from stressing out in la where i should be having the time of my life and getting about? a
0: dream job <laughs> yeah and so was this Was this a was it a tour company um was it you talked about working as a wildlife biologist so were you doing science work as well
1: yeah it was a tour company so kind of small i think it was maximum of 12 passengers on the boat right round the firth of lawn area so okay. it was spotting wildlife talking about what we saw what was, did you see um we saw minky whales wow. common dolphins bottlenose dolphins otters seals seagulls eagles, golden eagles Unbelievable. like it was incredible and this is the uk
0: you know i mean i know scotland is is different um to the rest it is that, that a bit more wild but you know you list all those mammal species off i think sometimes people forget that you know if you want to go whale watching you need to go to vancouver island or go to new zealand but Were you seeing this stuff regularly?
1: Yeah, not so much the whales. They were kind of like getting further out and (laughs) often people would be on the boat and we wouldn't be able to get further out because it was a lot bumpier than people were expecting. We went round the Corrie Brecon Whirlpool, which I think is the third largest whirlpool in the world. Oh, wow. It's it's quite a rough boat trip, so you do not always get out to where you'd see the whales. Get some (laughs) seasick
0: passengers. I would have been.
1: (laughs) But yeah, that was my first time kind of up in Scotland and really furthered my appreciation for what we have here on our doorstep and why are we all not doing this on a more regular basis
0: it's a common thread through you know I've spoken with Pete Cairns on this podcast and uh, so many other photographers that have done lots of traveling and you know been to exotic locations but find themselves you know that includes me doing stuff right on your doorstep because it's accessible and you know we don't need to spend thousands of pounds dollars going to you know flying to these other locations to see wildlife that we actually also have here mm. um and so how long did that that job last
1: um so a few weeks into that job i actually had surgery <laughs> surgery on both toes from dance for oh, years wow. um and I'm very much a, I hate resting, I'm not good at resting, I'm very much like, I want to be doing stuff all the time. So two weeks after the surgery, I was back on the boat, which wasn't probably the best idea, having foot surgery <laughs> while you on a boat with wet feet all the day. <laughs> um, so my feet got infected, but I was trying to ignore it and just thinking, it's gonna go away, I'm living on an island, there's not a lot I can do anyway. <laughs> Still trying to go to work. Um, so I had that, and then also, had a bad experience with my boss, which is kind of something else I wanted to touch on. The fact that I'd left uni and, you know, thought, oh my gosh, I've got this dream job that I've wanted my whole life. I'm Mm. living on an island where I can kayak after work and like have all this wildlife right on my doorstep. I literally thought this is what I wanted. This is what I need. So when this situation happened with my boss and, you know, it was. He, he was the only one running the business, and he, it was me and one other girl working for him. There was no one I could have gone to above him either. And it's just this, you know, realisation that in this industry, it is a really very much male dominated industry, and it still is even today. And kind of that thought process in your head like you know am i overreacting to this is this okay can i leave this job if yeah. i leave this will i ruin my career for yeah. the rest of my life it's
0: just basically disgusting isn't mm. it so did he mean made a pass at you or touch you inappropriately yeah
1: touch me inappropriately <laughs> right. and straight away i said don't touch me and you know he played it off as oh my gosh i don't know what came over me and then I was on the boat about to do a five-hour boat trip thinking, have I overreacted to yeah. this whole situation? Like, am I am I being unreasonable? And then get home and find out he's done it to my housemate and the girl that was there before me and quit just before I left. When you realize that it's not a one-off accident, which even then it shouldn't have been okay, but when I realized the extent of the situation, I was like, I can't work for this person. Yeah. And- no one should put themselves through that in any kind of work scenario any scenario whatsoever
0: yeah it's such a horrible abuse of power especially Mm. for young people and like you say you're getting the dream job and you know that's and you you hear it so often with abuse that you start questioning yourself yeah and that's when you know and you did which was great that you need to just leave and also call the police and <laughs> did anything happen did anything happen to this guy is he still running his business
1: still running the business yeah, but yeah. for me it was a big learning experience and sure. also you know i was proud of myself how i dealt with that the fact that i did say something yeah it's great and the fact and that's that... really
0: hard in those moments mm-hmm. because they have all the power
1: yeah and you're like oh my gosh this is my job i don't want to lose this job then what am i gonna do but I just kind of had that realization that there's always going to be something else. And the kind of person I am where, you know, I'm, I I don't stop, this is like what I want and I will get it. Like, so after I left the boat, I then had to have a second operation because my feet were so affected. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and then that week after, I was supposed to spend the week in bed, but went to Wild Screen <laughs> for <after> the week, hovering <laughs> around on my crutches. Like, because I have that attitude as well, where I'm like, this is what i want so i'm going to take every opportunity yeah although i'd lost what i thought was the dream job which it was but it wasn't in that context and i knew that i graduated went there three days later and some people can't find jobs for years after graduating so i knew i didn't need it and that i could do something else yeah
0: and it sounds to me like you know with 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 these kind of experiences and i mean i've never had an experience like that i'm sure a lot of that is to do with me being a man but it's so it sounds horrific it sounds like you've also reacted to you know that's the thing with adversity it's like how do you react to it and you know reacting to it and you know maybe there'll be other young people well i know there are a lot of young people that listen to this podcast who listen to this and it's a really good lesson Mm -hmm. to learn and a good message to get across that you you can walk away, there will be other things, and you definitely don't need to be touched inappropriately at work. No. Um, and it's also something that, and of course, I'm not saying that the, this field is, is, is full of, you know, inappropriate men touching young girls inappropriately, but it is a very male dominated world. It's changing a bit. But, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier and um you know i know you you wanted to say a few things about that and talk about that moving forward you know getting opportunities and um you know i just saw actually today that you know still garylinica is the highest paid star at the bbc and you know they're still trying to reach these targets of getting women on equal pay and it just seems to like take forever all of this stuff
1: yeah and you just think this has been happening for tens like so many years now this has been going on and we think we've progressed so much as a society, but then when you like start looking at, into all these different things, you realise, actually, things aren't quite as equal as they should be, given we're in 2019 yeah. now. And after going to that talk at Wild Screen, there was a talk at Wildscreen on women in wildlife, right. and they started the talk saying, the fact we're even having to do a talk right. on women in wildlife indicates that there's an issue here. Yeah. Like, this shouldn't even be a topic of conversation that there is this minority and this inequality of the number of women working in the wildlife yes. filmmaking industry.
0: And what was the message that came from that? Because I can imagine like looking through the program and you've got, you know, so-and-so speaking about their expedition to National Geographic and this other person talking, and it's just normal stuff. And then they've got, oh, women in wildlife, it's like a, a, a separate thing that we need to talk about. And what did you, what, what was the kind of message that came out of that for making a change?
1: I think it's just, the realisation that's not gonna change by itself. Like, you have to make these changes, you have to stand up for yourself if you're in a situation where you need to stand up for yourself, like, be the kind of person that's willing to put yourself forward for things. Like, there was a study down where, you know, when a guy's asked, what are you doing? let say you say, I'm a photographer. A guy's much more likely in the study to say, I'm a professional photographer, and the women's much more likely to play it down. Say, so, I do a bit of photography, but switching your answers to be like, actually, I do do this, and I am good at this, mm. and I could compete with anyone, no matter what their sex is, to do that same job just as well as they can. And if we're all going into stuff, working on our own att on our own mentality and our own attitude to these situations, and just normalizing it with the way we behave and the way we respond to things that's going to massively help in then changing other people's attitudes as well but equally like speaking up when something's wrong not necessarily in a inappropriately touching way because yeah. that is not the norm that's quite extreme <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: but just generally yeah and i think you know this this is a good time change is happening slowly but i mean just this week with the Women's World Cup, for example. I don't know what the viewing figures were for last night's semi-final, but apparently, you know, it's enormous. There's a real buzz around it. Um, you know, there's good money in it. There's a lot of investment in it. You know, these are um, there. There is there are there are improvements, and I think you're right. It's so much of it is, are the semantics. It's like how you present yourself and the language that you choose to use. Um, I think we could all do with a little bit of kind of american in us couldn't mm. we us british we we tend to kind of underplay things a little bit um so no it's 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 really great to hear
1: i think as well like supporting and celebrating each other as well
0: definitely like really
1: being happy and proud of other people's success and not having that thing which we all do of comparing your journey to someone else's yeah and yeah. having that just like negative mentality to things trying to switching that around kind of helps in all aspects yeah
0: and I think also, you know, men have a big responsibility as well to speak up. Yeah. Because they're also are currently, you know, the big decision makers and the main people in the field. So I think the more men speak up about these issues, um, it will help. So moving on. Oh, yes. Actually, I wanted to talk to you about your studies because you, you were studying the African wild dogs. Yeah. And that sounded, I mean, that's kind of, you know, when I, when you think of the dream, job in zoology or just work working as a zoologist it's like radio colors and you know antennas and you know whenever you see that you know that's like oh that's what i want to do so what Were you doing with these wild dogs and and you know what? Did you discover anything new about them you didn't know? And yeah, tell us a little bit about that experience.
1: It's funny because that was never actually what I was supposed to be studying, that was kind of from something going wrong and then last minute having to change it.
0: Which sounds pretty exotic of, you know, and exciting you to me. Always
1: have to have this open mind to these things because things do fall through, especially when working with animals. Um, so. My degree was actually a four-year degree because I did a study abroad year added on to it so I went to Australia for a year during that year get sent this list of dissertations when I go back to Leeds for my final year and they were all just stuff which didn't appeal to me you know working with fruit flies in the lab and birds and studying their feeding behaviour all things which just need say, to yeah, be studied, free flight is really but important but not what i found like riveting to yeah. go and do a whole year's dissertation on so i got in contact with dr william Hobbit whilst i was still in australia and said will you be my supervisor because normally it's based on grades and
0: you get can you tell us who he is and
1: so he's a um, leader in animal behavior research, okay. has lots of published papers. He discovered log tail feeding and humpbacks, oh, wow. um, tool use, forms of tool use in chimpanzees, just like this awesome guy that has done all this amazing work. And I came to him with this idea that I wanted to study wolves at the UK Wolf Conservation Centre and study learning in wolves. And he was like, yeah, totally happy to back you for that. So set up this study had it all planned out and then got back from australia in july just before starting my final year of uni was going to go to the wolves in august and a couple of days before found out it's fallen through (laughs) and then i'm sat there thinking now what and phoned up will and he said oh well i have a study you can do on birds and i was like well, I, want to, I wanted to be studying carnivores, yeah, I don't course. want to switch to birds. <laughs> um, and then he's like, actually, I had master's students last year doing a project on African hunting dogs. Um, it was a master's project, but you know, you've come to me a year ahead, you're very much like, I want to do well this year. You could continue on from their work. So that's kind of how it all started and mm. kind of came into place. So my studies were based at Yorkshire Wildlife Park. We did do a field trip as well, but for a different module actually studying the landscape of fear. So my dissertation research is looking at social learning and pack dynamics in wow. African wild dogs and basically looking at one, you know, I had a pack which had pups. Where where in their development do they establish a hierarchy? Where in that time frame do they kind of form those social bonds that then live with that stay with them through their entire life and secondly based on that hierarchy and this pack interactions does that influence their learning um so then you'd set them tasks and see a can they solve a task and b can they then socially learn how to solve a task so by not having solved the task themselves but just watching Another one solve it. Can they then learn to solve it by watching? Which they can. Amazing. And see, does that spread through a pattern based on the hierarchy? Like, are they more likely to learn from ones that they'd spend more time with and have that closer bond with? And that was positive data as well. So it's now been shown in so many different species with the whales, the chimps, now the dogs. Amazing. And that can be used in so many different ways that, you know, they're one of the most endangered carnivores in the world. Yes. And so far there's been no successful, like, reintroduction efforts because it's not working, something's missing. So in that critical period in pup development, can you target that time in terms of pre-release training and use studies like this to help them? Supporting their conservation. That's amazing.
0: So it really comes down, you know, with reintroduction, which is obviously now such an important part of conservation. With so many species on the brink, you know, mm-hmm. all this information, you have to find this stuff out quickly.
1: Yeah.
0: And now, and if that can be proven through good science and sound science, then you know there's a chance that. So so I mean, this is something I know nothing about, but there's been no successful reintroductions of these dogs ever. No. Wow.
1: Not from the wild.
0: That's amazing.
1: There's been relocations. Yes. But even they're tricky and there's very low success rate. Yeah. Because they have this such highly social nature that's so poorly understood. Like when people first studied the dogs, they thought there was no hierarchy whatsoever <laughs> because it's so different to that of any other canid. Like they are very rarely aggressive, they're overtly submissive instead. And, you know, the way people viewed them was just so wrong. <laughs> And for Africa's most successful carnivore, more so than lions, hyenas, you know, all these animals that we think of as being top predators, we know so little about them. And it's just, you know, we were talking about this earlier when if an elephant's in, endangered, everyone will back it because it's such a well-known animal. And it shouldn't have to be like that. It should be, we'll back anything that needs backing. Yes. We're we'll, We're here to save all species because We're really the ones that have caused the demise of most species.
0: I know, it's funny, isn't it? Like what, why a certain specific animal gets the backing Mm -hmm. and why one doesn't. And, um, you know, pandas are billions and billions and billions pumped into their conservation. And as far as I'm aware, they've made a really good recovery and it's no surprise. Yeah,
1: and they're something that they look cute and everyone knows they even had to change the name of the common name of the dogs recently so they used to be called african hunting dogs and that was like nope don't call them they're african painted wolves yes because it's
0: sounds better for pr yeah Yeah. and
1: they're not a dog or a wolf really they're not closely related (laughs) to either of them but it's just what works in people's minds and getting them to connect in a way which will get them to then back conservation
0: yeah yeah it's amazing and you know that i just kind of sparked something in my mind about this you know what makes us choose you know the value of one animal over another which kind of brings <laughs> us nicely onto the fact that you know you're um another vegan wildlife photographer and there aren't that many of us apologies for those who are listening that are. <laughs> oh, i just don't have never heard of you get in touch with me but you know i've interviewed andy parkinson and on this podcast he's a great photographer uh uk-based photographer and you know, a really um, great speaker about veganism. And I know that's how you first learned about this podcast. So it's really nice to come for you to come on and talk about you know your experiences um, of being a vegan, why you went vegan, why you think it's important as a photographer, zoologist, presenter to, to be vegan. I'd love to hear, you know, especially someone from the younger generation that's kind of growing up in this sea change that's happening right now. Um, get your thoughts on it
1: yeah as you said it's kind of funny going on to that because you know that's how i found that's the first kind of interaction we had through social media and actually the thing that completely changed my social media because as you said you know there are relatively few people in this industry that are vegan and as someone using social media and trying to get into this industry from a basic level I was almost scared to talk about things that might seem controversial or like I had too much of an opinion on things. So, for the first kind of eight months of using social media, I never put out that I was vegan. I never put out that I was into sustainability, you know, any of that stuff. And then I listened to the podcast that you did with Andy Parkinson and raised the question as a discussion. You know can you call yourself a conservationist if you're not a vegan and since then that kind of gave me the confidence to be like actually this is my platform this is i can make this personal not in a these are my views you need to listen to this or you want if you want to follow me but the sense you know this is my platform to share who i am as a person and what i believe in and try and use that platform to achieve something more than just sharing my photographs and trying to get people to change the way they were thinking or the way that they were living their lives so going right back to kind of why why i'm vegan um my mum brought us up vegetarian so from a young age you know it she wasn't I didn't know exactly why we were vegetarian when i was a kid but i feel like it just puts you on this position where i always knew we don't eat animals because we love animals so that's why we're not eating them that's why Mum says we don't eat them and she was never like you must be vegetarian your whole life as soon as we are old enough to make a decision for ourselves she was like if you want to eat animals you can do that but we never wanted to and we had a dad that's a carnist who <laughs> eats animals and a mum that was vegetarian. So we wow. had that balance in our family. It dinner was never... times would have
0: been interesting, right? So was your dad eating meat on his own? And <laughs>
1: He is good to be fair. Like yeah. when he well, he eats vegan at home, sure. if we're going out and stuff, that he he's not there. we will <laughs> um, stare at him at the dinner yeah. table
0: with like these evil eyes. <laughs> Poor dad.
1: But I think kind of growing up with that, gave me a very unique perspective on things anyway. And, you know, I was always the weird one as a kid because it was, it until relatively recently, even now it's still uncommon, but until relatively recently it was so uncommon. And we'd go to people's houses as a child and my mom would get questioned by the parents, you know, what do you expect us to feed your kid coming sure. here yeah. as a vegetarian? And I was like, well, she can eat most things, just not meat. Yeah. Um, and then going to university and that was the first time where i kind of thought it's not enough being vegetarian like we've learned about these five major mass extinction events throughout history they didn't touch upon the fact that we're in the six and why we're in the six but you know all these things kind of were not adding up in my head like and i felt like I personally would feel like a hypocrite if I wasn't doing all, of I could, all that I could in my life to support animals and how they were coping out in the world. That's when I was like, you know what, I need to switch to being vegan. And not just vegan, but living more sustainably, like not just in terms of plastic, but palm oil and, everything not just buying into that over consumerism that we have as a society and it really like switching my mindset and i think i have kind of a unique perspective on it now and it's really working for me in terms of i don't want to put people off by being like i'm vegan you have to be vegan you can't be in my life if you're not vegan but just educating people and you know If you see a photograph that I post on my Instagram, you're like, oh, that's so cute. How can I help this animal? Then making people put that connection together and think, oh, actually, if I love an animal and I want to help the animal, how can I harm it? Kind of trying to get that realisation out of people more because I genuinely believe that if you love something, you can't hurt it. And I think that mindset, that's really kind of what I want to push from a from a place of love, not a place of anger.
0: Sure. I understand. And we've talked about this. I talked about this quite a bit with uh, Jasper Goose and also Pete Cairns that, you know, getting up on your soapbox generally doesn't really work. Sorry, Andy, if you're listening <laughs> to this, but no, we need, we need your approach as well. But, um, you know, wagging the finger, it just turns people off. And I think if you lead by example, you know, like the, the things you say and having a platform and informing. And because, you know, for me as well, it's turning vegan actually really opened up my mind. It also opened up my food vocabulary. I eat way more, you know, much bigger variety of food than I did before I was vegan, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's so many resources out there as well. You know, we were talking earlier about Colleen, Patrick Goodrow who um, is now a friend i met her um, uh, uh, over new year um, and i must actually just plug her podcast quickly because she did a really good job of plugging mine but if you you, you must listen to it because it's great she runs she has two um one is called animology and it's really interesting it's all sort of talking about the language that we use around animals which is a really important thing you know everything mm-hmm. is kind of you know geared towards animals being this you know, you know you smell like a pig. You're dirty like a pig, and all you know using animals and you know, words like dog, etc., to describe people's derogatory terms. And she I've talked actually to...
1: Um, tried to do that a lot on my social media recently. Really consciously word my captions, mm-hmm. like say it's an, an animal that I photograph, like a signet, and I don't know the gender. Never use it, he, she, or someone. Right. Just little things like or humans and animals. We are animals. Yes. Like animals and non like do you know what i mean just trying to change the way i'm writing things in those simple things just changing my language choices to make it clearer because that is a big problem it's
0: it really is a big deal and i know we've also both read why we love dogs eat pigs and wear cows by melanie joy which is an amazing book for kind of um when you're starting out with the journey of becoming vegan is having just being well-informed and her language and the way she processes or distills things that I feel instinctively, but she articulates them really, really well. Mm. And it, it, re- you're really able to speak about being a vegan without being a self-righteous, you know, because that's also one of the problems of being vegan you know, is the joke of like, you know, how do you know if someone's <laughs> vegan, they're going to tell you about it. And, um, But yeah, just coming from a place of where You're confident where you're really well-informed and, yeah, you, but at the same time, I think it's, whilst you shouldn't wag the finger, it is important to kind of push gently, say, look, do you know what's going on? I think most people do know what's going on. It's just people don't want to change their habits. And I also understand that. In fact, I was at my local doctor yesterday um, and he's not a vegan, but he was just like, without question, you know, this is the healthiest diet. And he talked about the difficulty is if you think about an older person who's been eating in a certain way for 40, 50 years, you have to be sensitive to that. You can't just say you have to change your diet you know, tomorrow. So you're right. There are there really are ways of dealing with that. And I should just mention Colleen's other podcast, which is called Food for Thought. And that's much more about compassion and, and, and healthy living. So um, if people are interested, they should go and check that out.
1: I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's not just about what you eat. And that's, I think, why it becomes, people get on the defensive because it requires a lifestyle change. It requires change in habits that people have had if they have been eating meat for 40 years. Like that's a, a lifetime of change that people then have to go through, not just in terms of what they're putting in their bodies, but mental change as well. And, you know, these this is the norm currently in society. And we were talking about earlier how it's people say, Are you normal or are you vegan? Like that it's the word choices as well. Like because it doesn't have a term, like there's vegan carnage, like these terms need to be used more and the fact that there's no normal. The normal is yes, vegan. Of course. <laughs> we have the biology of vegans, it's not in our society to do that. But when you read that book like the Melanie Joy one and stuck picking up on things that you didn't even think of like people have this stereotype of vegans being pushy and pushing your thoughts onto people but you'll sit and watch an advert on tv of a dripping beef burger is that not pushing that thought onto us like (laughs) these messages are there all the time from both sides it's just we're not thinking that those messages there because it's what we're used to. Yeah. So for these changes to happen, it's going to require change as a whole society, which is going to take time. And like you said earlier, there's kind of trying to strike that balance between not wanting to be pushy, because I don't think it works. I know from myself and kind of making that vegan transition myself, I was very much like, don't push this onto me. This is the decision I'm coming to, For my own and in my own time. And then flipping that and thinking we are in ecological crisis, like we are losing species at an accelerated rate that we've never seen before. Where do you get to the point where you're like, actually, that push needs to happen or it's going to be too late?
0: Yeah. And that's, you were talking earlier about this sort of holistic approach that you have to it. And, um, I've seen lots of videos of you protesting in London with Extinction Rebellion. (laughs) Can you tell us how you got involved in that and, um, you know, the events and uh, future events? Is it just simply by being online in a mailing list or is it something that resonates with you um, being out there on the streets demonstrating, you know, making films as well?
1: Those are kind of like the first protests I ever went to. And I remember after the first one, I was like, oh my God, that was so cool. (laughs) That ability to kind of break these societal rules. And I didn't do anything bad, but, you know, sit on a street where you shouldn't be sitting. It's
0: peaceful protests. Yeah.
1: And um, I actually got into it through my photography, kind of approached by someone through social media saying, you know, you're a photographer, you're a wildlife photographer. How would you feel? about photographing humans because we're animals too and i was like yeah i would love to Um, so went along to run the humans of exile campaign which is basically putting a name and story to these activists and kind of making people realize you know these are normal people they're not extremists they're fighting for things that we should all be fighting for
0: sure and they've got probably normal jobs like teachers and nurses and whatever
1: yeah so it was the whole kind of experience with Extinction Rebellion I mean I don't support everything they do some things I haven't gone to and wouldn't go to but majority of what they do I'm in full support of and it's been a weird experience of being incredible and feeling part because you know being someone that has these concerns about the environment and animals you often feel like you're one on, you're on your own in a sense and you feel like why is no one else seeing this why do i not have the backing for my friends and family so going to this place where you're all fighting for something so important it's like this lovely kind of community feel But on the flip side of that you kind of realize the messed up world we're living in like one of the protests there was a pregnant woman and she was protesting outside Oxford Circus. I was there as a photographer that day and she had um, locked onto a lamppost or something and she was being arrested. Police carrying this heavily pregnant woman, like she looked like she was gonna pop. (laughs) And she shouts out, I'm doing this not for my child, but for all our children. And that kind of like harrowing moment. And you're thinking, there's a woman here about to give birth by the looks of it that's fighting for the future of us all. And she's getting arrested. And there's people out there that are rapists, murderers, thieves. And you're just like, how how are we in this position as a society where we're even having to fight for there to be laws surrounding the environment? That shouldn't be something we have to fight for. We all need these things to survive we all wouldn't be here without nature you know it's the air we breathe the food we eat it shouldn't be a case of there shouldn't even have to be protests with these sort of things so it's kind of this weird situation when you're like this is amazing and i'm surrounded by amazing people versus oh my gosh this is weird and messed up that this is even happening
0: it is it's 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 completely illogical isn't it and Mm. that's that's the worry is when you stop and think about what's going on it's you know we again there's so many similar threads coming through these conversations i have with photographers with conservationists um that if you do think you know globally it's really depressing um but doing things like and it's such a cliche but it's so true joining a protest writing Mm -hmm. to your local mp you know getting involved locally the more people that do that you know the more change will happen i mean look what's going on right now in hong kong for example it's incredible Mm. incredible protests and you know ultimately governments do have to listen if it continues and i think what extinction rebellion are doing is is great because you know the moment the moment you block a road in london well that's big news Mm.
1: and i generally don't think there has been things that have come recently like so many people are now declaring climate emergencies and I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for all these protests and Greta Thunberg starting yeah. the youth strike and stuff. I genuinely don't think all of this change in this time frame would have happened if it wasn't for the protests.
0: That's right. And then, you know, looking back again at the at the vegan movement, it just it's growing like on you know, I'm, when I went vegan in two thousand thirteen I never would have thought, you know, it would have gained such attraction you know i live in tottenham just a few minutes from me now it's you know on many ways as sad as getting gentrified but we've got like you know our local cafes doing vegan fry-ups and <laughs> soy lattes and stuff and you think god in this it wasn't that long ago that there were riots here and and um, you know it's a pretty poor area but it's it's changing and that's you know that's like, can only be a good thing and you have to we have to hold on to that really don't we mm-hmm. um I want to talk a bit more about you and you as a photographer because you know you've you've graduated as a as a zoologist but you've hit the ground running being a photographer and you know presenting your own videos um roxy has a a really great youtube channel which i encourage everyone to check out we'll put all of the links and everything in the notes on your page so people can access that um but this you know you as a wanting to save animals caring about the environment what was it that made you wanted to go into the media side of things rather than the pure science side of things.
1: It's funny because saying I'm a photographer just sounds weird now, There you because... go, so you're,
0: you know, you're a, a woman who should who should yeah. be saying, yeah, I'm a I'm a professional photographer, you've been paid for work, so yeah, you absolutely are.
1: Yeah, and it's just never where I kind of saw my life going a year ago. I would never have thought I was in the position that I am now. I kind of started I started social media first because I just wanted a platform where I could show people all these amazing animals that I was seeing and partly from a vegan perspective, partly from just a genuine I want more people to get involved from a conservation perspective. Like, look how cool this wildlife is that we have across the world. Like let's all appreciate this and celebrate this more. But when I started I was just had my phone and was just taking pictures of my phone, that's all I had. And then when I graduated, I was like, right, I'm going to get a camera. This is my first ever DSLR, like my first proper camera, as I always call yeah. it. And went in and just did it because I was going and seeing animals at the time. And I enjoyed taking pictures of them. And then it became a, oh, actually, I really like taking pictures. And I feel like when you're out in the field with your camera, you kind of, because you want these shots you kind of stay out longer like you'll be out there for hours and i kind of lose all concept of time i always go into like this meditative state where i don't need a drink i don't need food i don't need the toilet <laughs> i'm like how have i passed all these hours? Amazing. i
0: think that's such a great way of describing what photography is because it's such a it's a very passive way of really of engaging with nature but it's a wonderful way and very different than if you're just going on a walk 'Cause like you say, you've got this almost this mission like a hunter, to capture this animal on a on a camera and, and do it well and, and then try and improve on that the next day. And that's so much about what good wildlife photography is about. Is just about going back and revisiting and I'm the same as you, I find it completely meditative and when you're looking through your viewfinder, time just can disappear. It's a really wonderful experience.
1: And I feel like it gave me more of an appreciation as well, because that moment where you're there, photographing an animal, it's only because that animal's allowing you to be there. It could be gone in a second if it wanted to. It's kind of like that shared appreciation, like you both are aware that you're in each other's space, but you're both allowing, the the animal's allowing you to be in their space, in their home. And it's kind of like that special moment that you you've been accepted into their life and when they keep going on which they should do or otherwise you're disturbing wildlife but when they keep going on with their normal behavior you get to see things that you know you've never seen before in terms of an animal's behavior it's just it kind of really helped me further my appreciation for things on like a smaller scale which i'd never thought of before because you can see things with this massive zoom (laughs) telephoto lens that you'd never see with your naked eye and it just became such a love of mine. And then I think because I loved it so much and had this passion for it, I just kind of developed like putting so much time into it and practicing, learning more. And just last week actually, I went back to Skomer Island and did a comparison on my Instagram of my wildlife photography from Scoma last year, which wow, was one of my first nice ever trips do, yeah. with my camera to Scoma this year. And like I, I shocked myself at how different my photography was. And
0: and this is with no formal training. It's just like going out there, doing it.
1: Practice and YouTube videos. YouTube. What would you <laughs> do without YouTube. YouTube. YouTube? Yeah, just practice, practice. And you learn from your mistakes. You learn from the shots that you missed or were blurry or you'll learn for the next time. and it just now is something that's my job like i'm a photographer now and i that's in different forms whether that be wildlife human i use it for product shots as well for my business and it just becomes such a big part of my life which if you asked me this time last year are you a photographer i would have said no sure <laughs> and now i'm like yeah i am that's
0: amazing <laughs> But you're also really getting the most out of the camera because you're making a lot of videos and you're also presenting a lot to camera. Mm-hmm. And I think I've read in the past that that's what you'd love to do also, is present films. Yeah. Um, is that still kind of an, an ambition of yours to be you know, the next David Attenborough?
1: Yeah, so it was weird for me because presenting is kind of what I've always wanted to do, the wildlife presenting. But for me, I found it weird filming myself and being out there with you still you know, have that self-consciousness self. yeah. yeah it's kind of i'm talking to my camera if anyone walks past i'm gonna look like I'm completely weirder <laughs> so it took me a while to get to the stage where i made my first youtube video the first one i made was september um, and it was of red squirrels in scotland yeah. and yeah it felt weird but you just have to like i bought the mic i bought the little gorilla pod that i could hold my camera out as far as possible with to film myself like buying those things and being like i'm going to make this even if it's not very good and i have to learn editing and speaking to the camera is a whole different thing to being behind the camera even if you know it was the first thing i did i'm going to do it and i'm going to put it out there and keep doing it because it's what i want to do
0: this is that tenacious you yeah. <laughs> have from getting your feet infected like you're definitely going to make wildlife films mm-hmm. and it's lovely because you know I've watched quite a few of these and you know they're raw which is great but you can you can tell that you've just gone for it and you know this is not loads of use of after effects or slick smooth panning slow motion but they're really good stories and that's that's the most important thing you know in that instance and it's also amazing and brilliant that we have the capability and the possibility to to do this. You don't need a big production company. You can go out with a small backpack and make your own films and inform people. And actually that's brought me on to something I didn't know about because I watched your one in the new forest on the the pigs. Um, Mm. So, um, well, first of all, I encourage everyone who's listened to this to go onto Roxy's YouTube channel and check out the videos because they're great. Um, but maybe you could tell a little bit about that story because that was also new to you when you went to film there, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, I just expected to go to the New Forest and make a nice happy video about ponies and show (laughs) everyone how fun it was being with the ponies. Kind of a big thing I'm trying to do with my videos is make people realise you don't have to be a professional to get out there, just go out there and do it and just have fun. That's all I'm trying to do with them, just get practice because I do want to get into presenting and just have fun with it. So I just went there as a day trip to the New Forest and as I was leaving I noticed some pigs in the forest and I was thinking why are there pigs in here? (laughs) That's not what I expected to see here. And they
0: were just roaming free. Just
1: roaming around and as I got closer to do some photography of the pigs I noticed these staples in their noses. Mm. And I did a plug straight away on my Instagram stories like what is going on here? Why do these pigs have staples in their noses? Like what am I looking at? and i have a lot of vegan activists that follow me and it just came to light something i'd never even heard of before which is panage which is where they use pigs in the forest for grazing but they staple their noses so that they can't um, rummage through the forest floor because it will hurt them the Mm. staples will pinch into their nose if they're doing this so i kind of used that video in a to kind of show people i don't know everything i'm i i was not going there to kind of expose the truth about the new forest as an
0: investigative yeah. journalist yeah
1: <laughs> but i was like if i don't know this think how many people don't know this and it's something that most people would probably be outraged to hear that this is being done like how is that ethical and okay for us to treat animals like that to stop them foraging in a natural way causing them pain just when they're trying to look for food, a basic thing that every being on the planet needs is food. And yeah, that YouTube video wasn't as planned. It was obviously not as planned because a lot of it was filmed at home afterwards after I had time to do the research into actually what was going on there. But I think that's why it's working because I'm not trying to say I'm an expert or, I try to just keep all of my videos as very raw like i'm just a normal person trying to learn about things and do good things that we can all be doing
0: yeah and i think that's something we touched on a bit earlier Is that um i think you know especially with social media people are seeing you and oh wow you know roxy's here she's there and she's making these videos and 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 it's a glamorous life but underneath it is a lot of hard work it takes Mm time to drive to the new forest to present to learn about sound to learn about you know good editing and how to tell a story and 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 i think it's really important to let people know that yeah a lot of hard work goes into this Mm -hmm. and a lot of frustration of missing stuff or messing stuff up and like you were saying earlier learning from your mistakes but i think you know a message from this is just advising people just to go out and do it if you've got a good idea you can go and do it
1: like I started from nowhere I had no photography experience I had no filming experience no presenting experience but I was like this is what I want to do so I'm going to do it and social media is hard work it can be a full-time job for a lot of people like creating content requires so much time like even a photograph it's not just that photograph it's the trip you took to create that photograph flicking through the hundreds of photographs that you took editing that photograph thinking of the caption like for videos it's the hours and hours of editing and editing videos takes me a long time maybe because i'm not very good at it and <laughs> hopefully it will get a bit get quicker and yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but... with that with that pig video a really funny thing happened um so i watched it and then I, I i just i just went in to grab a cup of tea or whatever and i came back and you know youtube just auto plays and and it and it had like suggested content so the video after yours wasn't another video of yours it jumped to how to rear hogs for <laughs> you know farming and for the best bacon possible and oh i was just gosh. like oh my god they've they've got to sort their algorithms out you know it was really... this is
1: the complete opposite of what yeah. she was trying to say <laughs> i'm minute.
0: not i'm not endorsing this at <laughs> all <laughs> well
1: that was the other thing on instagram the other day this is a thing i wanted to touch upon how there's this kind of lack of rules as such yet for social media someone shared a photo i took of a african wild dog and put it on a hunting instagram page yeah and i was like for a start they didn't ask me to use that photograph which is a whole other issue they didn't tag me in that photograph but also like if they had asked me i would have said absolutely no way you're not using my photograph to promote hunting which is something i'm completely against in every aspect and it kind of just goes down to this thing of you know being a photographer and or creating content online this work is like so precious to you it's your time it's your investment both like emotionally and time wise and it seems like you have this easy amazing life but that's a lot of scheduling posts to create so one trip can last for a month's worth of content and you know thinking about how you're doing things and kind of trying to find ways of making people realize that it's not a glamorous life that we're living we live normal lives and these are the highlights of our lives that we're sharing yeah
0: i know and it's a you know there aren't that many people or a small percentage of people do but most people want to talk about how amazing their life is Mm. and how cool they look and and so yeah it's one of the things that drives me mad as well about social media even though of course it is such a useful platform yeah um
1: I think it's using it for good as well. There are so many things that I think are wrong with social media and different fields like beauty and fashion and you know all this issue with young people having such bad mental health issues mm, at the moment. Eating
0: disorders. Yeah. yeah.
1: And people being on their phones and being behind screens is part of that issue. We, again we have this disconnect from nature as a society that's kind of not being instilled in us from a young age anymore but social media can be used for good as well like some of the people i've connected with with social media some of them are my best friends and i would never have them in my life if it wasn't for social media it puts you in contact with these people that have the same interests the same passions as you and you have that as kind of you know your baseline from the start of your friendship and your interactions with that person and if you're using it to spread positive messages about the way people can live their lives and Change things. I think it's just again changing the mindset on social media and using it for positive things.
0: Definitely, I think it's a that's a really good message. Um, we're going to have to slowly start wrapping this up now. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. No, it's fine. It's, it's it's just been great so far, and and uh, it's been really, I've really enjoyed just hearing you talk so passionately about all the different subjects that you're involved in. And one of them we haven't talked about that, and you reminded me my. When you talked about being really busy and all the hard work that goes in, you know, behind all your projects. And one of them is this, you did mention it a bit earlier, is you have a an online retail business for, for products. So why don't you talk to us about that? And when did you start it? What do you sell? This is a good chance for you to <laughs> plug it. We'll also put the links up um, on your page so people can find out about it. But yeah, tell us about it
1: during my uh, final year of uni I kind of made this crazy rash decision came down it was actually on new year's day and I was writing out my resolutions for the year (laughs) went downstairs and I said to my parents I'm going to start a business and they were like what you're doing your dissertation you've got your final exam why are you starting a business ultimate (laughs) procrastination it's like
0: you started cleaning the bathroom or (laughs) you know (laughs) <laughs> organizing your books in alphabetical order no you're going to start no, a business I'm
1: starting a business and I'm using my overdraft that you get when you're a student and I'm investing all of my money that I didn't have into this business um, but it was something that I felt was emerging and something I was passionate about and aligned with everything else I was trying to do so my workshop is a place kind of like that one-stop place where you can go to to, to get everything that's there eco-friendly alternative to mainstream products so it's called zephyr eco market okay the reason why i call it that is because zephyr is a breeze that travels through the environment without causing any disturbance so the leaves don't blow around everywhere when the breeze goes past everything's still and calm and i believe that's how we should be living we shouldn't be destroying everything on our path taking and using things we don't need we should be leaving no footprint on the earth and everything that's surrounding us. So it's kind of, you know, a range of products that allows people to make changes in their life to reduce their harm.
0: What kind of products?
1: Everything from bamboo toothbrushes, coffee cups, um, to chopping boards made out of recycled plastic bottles, yoga mats made from recycled cork. Kind of a variety of different things beauty products free from palm oil and animal products
0: yeah. and
1: other harmful things that were chemicals that we're putting in our skin and absorbing into our bodies that we don't think of just so the range of products kind of allows people to live in a less harmful way but i also work with two charities as well um one of them is one tree planted so they plant a tr- plant trees in forests of Borneo that have been destroyed by palm oil plantations, which is obviously a whole massive issue that we could get into it's another right podcast now. Worth, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and the other is painted dog conservation. Oh great. Which is obviously so close of to my course. heart. And, and
0: what happens to the proceeds of you know, the sales go to these um, is that how you so support the,
1: them? Yeah, so proceeds and I sell some they have a place called the Iyengar Arts Centre where they employ local people out in Zimbabwe and they take snares out of the wild which are snares aren't specific to animals, anything that goes through them will be caught and killed. So they employ local people to go out and remove these snares and then transform them into artwork. So it's teaching local people that, you know, you can earn money from the wildlife that's here without harming them. Yeah. And building on that human-animal relationship, because if we don't work on the human aspect, conservation is not going to work. No. Which is why, you know, I love what they're doing because it's kind of targeting the root cause of the issue, really, which is the human aspect of why this species is going extinct.
0: Amazing. And so how do you find time for it all? <laughs> because <laughs> one thing we haven't talked about is also your other job with, with um, ZSL. Mm-hmm. You're presenting at Whipsnade, you're making all these videos mm-hmm. um, you're also now writing on a, on a blog. Um, yeah (laughs) and maybe you could talk a bit about that as well
1: yes so whipsnade i'm there now three days a week working as a presenter which is really rewarding especially in terms of kids that come up to me afterwards and say i want to do what you do how do i do that and that's great you know that inspiring the younger generation which are the people that are going to be out in the field one day, the people that we need to inspire to kind of get involved in conservation.
0: Yeah, because these get a lot of criticism, um, you know, from the vegan police.
1: Mm-hmm. But,
0: you know, that was yeah, going to London Zoo as a kid was hugely in, in, inspiring for me. And of course, they're not all brilliant, but they still mm-hmm. play an important role in conservation.
1: Yeah, and ZSL, which is the charity that runs Whipsnade, where I am, it works in over 50 countries across the world. And wow you know, they even talked about it in our planet, the Schiavowskis horses at the turn of the century, there were 12 left in the world, And if it wasn't for captive breeding, they'd be extinct. Yeah. There's now a thousand back in the world. And, you know, kind of getting people to realize there are these amazing things that captive environments are doing, but it's what is the captive environment they are supporting? Cause they're not all the same. So I'm there three days a week kind of doing that thing, fitting in my business and running my business i do it all entirely on my own <laughs> have my stock stockroom at home process <laughs> orders on my own emails wow. everything just kind of so
0: you're a master at like you know where to buy your packaging and packing tape and um all the boring stuff that goes in the, the back end of running a web business yeah
1: and kind of learned the hard way learn by my mistakes again and just learning as i go and very supportive parents as well that have been like, you need help packaging up your orders, (laughs) (laughs) but we sit there doing it together. They're
0: very (laughs) useful parents, aren't they, (laughs) in those situations. And then you're doing this blog as well. Yeah,
1: so that's the most kind of recent form of income for me. Um, A guy called The Points Guy, which runs a business based on collecting air miles and using those to travel. An audience of 10 million people that fly regularly and aren't going to stop flying. So when they launched the UK branch, they got questioned understandably a lot about, you know, given the circumstance we're in and the environmental situation we're in, how do you feel about this? So they then were like, you know, we need to have a sustainability aspect, which is kind of where I came in and started writing about traveling more sustainably, traveling as a vegan, kind of these kind of things where at first I was torn of whether to do it whether that aligned with what i was talking about and doing other aspects of my life but you know these are 10 million people that fly regularly and aren't going to stop flying and there's all so much i can do on my instagram to people that have these interests already but actually you know these are people that don't have these interests so getting just planting those seeds here and there could actually be more powerful
0: coming out of the bubble
1: yeah if they start offsetting with a company that offsets properly, or if they decide to fly an economy instead of first class and reduce their carbon emission for that flight by ten times, making these changes which they might not have even thought of could make a massive difference.
0: Yeah, because that's the thing. You know, we we you know, the, the, the world we live in is the, it's the modern world mm-hmm. and um, you know, big business can play a hugely and does play a hugely important role kind of ironically in conservation so you have to work with it
1: and i think i'm a big advocate for like small changes do make a difference everyone doesn't have to you know throw everything out their house today (laughs) never use any more plastic again never do this again never do this again everyone's got to start somewhere we none of us none of us are perfect now like we weren't vegan our whole lives i've not been sustainable my whole life everyone starts somewhere and if people make changes no matter how small it's still better than doing nothing
0: yeah that's brilliant so what are your hopes wishes and dreams for the future
1: (laughs) hard question (laughs) (laughs) especially now because i feel like i'm in a place in my life where i'm accepting everything as it comes and i don't feel like i have to necessarily be a photographer, presenter, uh, you know, I don't have to have this label, I I do a bit of everything. I'm a zoologist, I'm an animal and climate activist and if that encompasses everything then so be it. All I know is that I want to be out there teaching people about conservation, promoting animal and climate activism and inspiring people to get out there and do the same. So in terms of like a future goal, that's where I want to go and the path I'll take that might not be the path that I necessarily expected but as long as I'm achieving that I'll be happy
0: that is a brilliant answer <laughs> Roxy thank you so much it's been so great talking to you and um, there's so much more I want to talk to you about we <laughs> thank will... you for having me there it's a real pleasure so we'll get you back on again we'll put a full um, set of links in the notes and um, yeah we'll keep following you um on your journey definitely follow roxy on instagram if you're listening um i don't know you i i'm not super active on facebook i don't know if you are but i mean not it's... super i try mm. to
1: do facebook but a bit much doing everything isn't yeah it? Like pick and choose
0: but um yeah we'll um we'll we'll we'll, we'll keep the conversation going and, and get you back on in the future thanks so much for coming along
1: thank you for having me it's been amazing <laughs>
0: What a pleasure and a joy talking to Roxy. I really enjoyed listening to her measured approach to all the areas she is working in. And it's the common thread when talking with all my guests is looking at just how hard they all work. And Roxy is no exception, which is why I'm really looking forward to seeing so much more of her work in the future. So there are plenty of links on her page in the podcast section of my website. So you can check out what Roxy is up to. And be sure to click on the link for our online store, Zephyr Eco Market, where you can buy a whole range of environmentally friendly products. Is it too early to mention Christmas? Of course not. You can also share this very podcast with your community. It is free. They are all completely free. So please, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps us to reach a wider audience and hopefully to connect with people who don't necessarily put wildlife conservation and the environment at the forefront of their minds so there's nothing wrong with a gentle nudge right if you don't already you can follow me at matt moran photo on my twitter and instagram handles and on facebook it's forward slash matthew moran photography you can keep up to date with behind the scenes work on my blog there's videos i'm updating my galleries and a whole bunch of other stuff thanks again for listening it's much appreciated we'll see you next time